Okay, so I have some questions uh, uh, here uh, with me. Uh, so uh, the first question I received is about Aryan invasion theory. Uh, so the person Pranav Kumar is saying, isn't refuting Aryan invasion theory leading to decolonization of uh, social sciences in general and history in particular? Uh, actually, I'd like to ask more general, make a ge more general issue. So, if uh, we, no, sorry, go on, go on, Shivish, you want to say something? No, I mean, so this is, would you like to take this question now or should I continue reading other questions as well? Well, I rather, I, I don't know whether it's possible. Uh, See, there are, they have already received, I think, 130 questions and so on from the participants already. Yes. And questions are adding up. Now, what my our idea is that to go further later on and answer as many questions as possible. But would you, what would you think of the idea that we restrict Q&A periods to responding to what has been said? Yeah, correct. Okay. So, so probably then we should take a question uh, which is uh, related to what has been just said. So there's a question from Ashank uh, Mittal. He says, uh, Marwari versus Jew. Difference in the treatment is very interesting perspective to deep dwell uh, into. May I request you to share with us some pointers on good research done on this aspect or some more perspectives? <laughs> uh, that is wonderful PR question. <laughs> I love it. I keep on asking those kind of questions. Well, I will, uh, uh, Ashank, as far as I know, only one person is doing research on that in along these lines in a very deep way, and that is this young girl sitting next to me. So uh, I suggest you get into touch, get in touch with each other, discover what she's doing. But I'm not joking; I'm very serious. Yeah, what there is, of course, there's there's a lot of work on. Uh, I mean, some work on Indian Jews and 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 how they've been living and these things, of course, in Cochin and Bombay and stuff. So there is that. But what we were pointing at from the perspective of the research program, that hasn't been. That's not there anywhere. It's not there. That's that's new. So they're going to do that now. Hopefully it will come out soon. Yeah, hopefully it will come out soon. Uh, but unfortunately, there is no literature, no research done on this question at the world level today, except what's going on here. Okay, so hopefully we will get, uh, if, if some articles have been published on this, maybe some links at a later point in time. Uh, there is a question from Arvind Kaushik. Um, mm -hmm. This probably is addressing Jacob from the way it uh, reads. How is the nature of Westerners' ignorance of their own culture different from the Indian ig ignorance of their own culture? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, the question is for Jacob. Kindly don't ask me. <laughs> I can't shift the question to you, Avalu. That's, <laughs> that's usually uh, my privilege. Mm -hmm. 
See, um, the short answer is, I don't know. But What, All right. what was the question? Sorry, I just How missed. is Indian ignorance uh -huh. different from Western ignorance of their respective cultures? Okay. Should, should Let I me pick up that side. Let me pick up that side. Uh, and then, yeah, okay, you want to say something, Cheta? Yeah, I mean, I think one, one way of uh, uh, sort of trying to find an answer to that question is to say, uh, see, India had gone through 1,000 years of colonialism. I mean, to different colonialism has impacted us. As a consequence, our uh, institutions of learning, the nature of transmission of knowledge have been uh, completely altered and there was very little chance uh, for it to recover uh, till very recent. So uh, whatever it could be, our ignorance because of these reasons and because of the damage transmission for such a long period in terms of how we were thinking uh, about the world, obviously our ignorance had to be much, much more uh, deeper than what European societies have. That's my hunch. So I will leave it to Balu. Yeah, but I'd like to add to it, put it this way, put it this way. What makes the point, what makes Chaitra said so poignant is this. I'm going to give a very crude, uh, draw a very crude comparison. The West Western people or Western societies, Western cultures, or Western people are ignorant about Western culture in the sense that they don't have any available knowledge about the culture in society. What is different about India is this. Indian culture has produced phenomenal amount of knowledge about human beings, about society about culture in a very knowledge can only be in that sense scientific more and they started doing that research nearly 3,000 years ago so for thousand one and a half thousand years or more Indians did research on human beings on on society on culture and Chaitra's point comes in there there has been damage in the transmission of that knowledge to us what does it mean? Indian ignorance of Indian culture and society is there despite the presence of knowledge about culture, society and people. Western, under Western people are ignorant about culture, society, etc. because in the West there is no knowledge. Social sciences, as I said, is ideology. So we are actually, we are knowledgeable people who love to be ignorant, not love 1000 years of colonialism, but if you just let that go. So basically we are, we have knowledge, but we tell Bakwas, the bullshit. Europeans are bloody ignorant, but they're pretentious. They think they know. That's a different, but both are ignorant. That's how I would put it. it it's very crude, eh? but this is where we are. Okay, so I have one last question before we uh, end the session, take a break for lunch. Um, mm -hmm. So this question is from Srirang 
Dike, or I don't know how to pronounce the last name, D-I-K-E. So how does the language in double quotes, language, impact the telling of stories? How does the experience impact language? Example, English was not as mature as it is today. At the same time, not knowing Sanskrit is one of the major reasons why Indians are more Western. Um, what can be done to correct this? If we agree that the language is one of the modern ways of contact, uh, conquest, um, so, yeah, I mean, he's saying, uh, when I say language, I mean medium of knowledge. So the, well, the, the, the stream of thought is not very clear, but what it appears to me is that uh, the person is talking about use of lang language in ability to, s to tell stories. Uh, welcome back, uh, Balu. <laughs> so uh, I was just uh, saying that we should probably take the question about language now and then uh, get started with what was planned for uh, uh, session two earlier. So I uh, was going to say that there are actually three um, questions that were asked, which are related, which are related to language. One which basically links language, experience, and knowledge. Right? You know, I think they're trying to the the person who has asked the question is trying to explore the relationship between language, experience, and knowledge, and is asking when in India. Uh, you know, Sanskrit as a language is no longer in use as it was in the past as a carrier of knowledge. Uh, you know, when English as a colonial leftover is still being used, uh, how can we still speak about language, experience, and knowledge? You know, I think this is the question. And uh, Gina G also raised a similar question saying in mathematics and other sciences, there's a concept of uh, axioms and uh, uh, theorems, and, you know, there's a basic set of principles based on which the whole uh, science is built. So can we also speak of something similar in social sciences? I think it's, they're related. So maybe after this, we could uh, start with the session. Yeah. Hey, uh, wonderful questions. Uh, uh, very relevant, very important. Uh, but I'll be a bit brief because Actually, I can speak for whole days on it. Yeah, and I love speaking about it. And besides, I love the sound of my own voice. So please give me, if I'm going to shorten it, come superficial and shallow. It's not that. It's simply pretending to be a Democrat, you know, saying everybody should have the voice and so on. So, okay, let's begin with a sketch. Let's begin with the second question uh, and then go to the first one to sketch the problem. Axioms, hypotheses, definition, principles of derivation, all these are required in mathematics, in logic, in all sciences. Uh, do, do we need that? Do we have it in social sciences? First, do we have it in social sciences, except for very small domains like uh, social choice theory, rational choice theory, game theory, if you forget them, uh, or using your statistics in political science and economics and so on. Are social sciences or not like that? Because if they were, they would not be what I call ideologies. Uh, so, but should they be? No question about it. 
if it is knowledge, see, to me, science is simply an example of knowledge, the best we have today, then would social scientists would have to take this form. Assumptions, premises, derivations, axioms, and so on. So for any ways of testing the theories in the world. So without doubts, that is where we have to go. And as I said in the beginning of my talk, that is how you judge. Is what the research program from Kent and elsewhere, is it going in the direction of knowledge? These are the criteria you, use to, you must use to test as much as other theories. So yes, it should. This is a simpler uh, issue in one sense. And, but the first one, English, Sanskrit, and experience. Extremely huge, extremely deep question. Uh, let me slice it this way. See, most of you probably would agree or have said that there are a lot of Sanskrit words which we cannot translate into English. And many people call them Indic categories. And because I'm a philosopher, I dislike sloppy use of words, Indic categories, one such, but I won't go there. That's only when I have to beat somebody, I will say why Indic categories and so on. But now I don't want to beat anybody as yet. So anyway, the problem is, Okay, we do realize that many Sanskrit words cannot be translated into English. Fine. But we must reverse the question. Are we able to understand English words? The two elements. One question that Chaitra said, can we find words? Can we coin words in Sanskrit, in Kannada, in Hindi, Urdu, whatever, to translate English words? Well, up to a point, can we have done it? But that's not the issue. It's not a translation issue because the question is, do you understand? Because these words, now let me take some words from English. State, sovereignty, social classes, democracy. Just to go on, law, constitution. So these words, we have words. Ah, constitution, that is samvidhana. Democracy, oh, that's Prajaprabhutva. We have words, yes, but these words in English or in German or in French are part of a theory, whether they're scientific or not, which means they have technical, very clear technical meanings. If we don't understand that theory, we cannot translate it. Take one simple example, not a complex one, of soul and so on, democracy. Every one of us thinks that India is a big democracy. If you disagree with, 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 with uh, the current government, you say it's not democracy, it's majoritarian rule, whatever the hell it means, it doesn't matter. You are a Marxist, you say this is fascism. And if you are not dead, you say that's bloody chaddis. I mean, I've been called chaddi, by the way. I'm known in, in the Marxist circles as a chaddi. Chaddi means shorts. You know, the RSS people wear shorts. I'm called chaddi. Fine. But I always have this problem. How do they know the color of the chaddi I wear, my underwear? I'm supposed to wear khaki. But actually, no, I'm not wearing khaki. So how the hell do they know that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. So take, let's take democracy. 
But there's one absent fact in Indian culture and society. What is it? There is no record of market for slaves in India. If there were slaves, how come? There was no slave market, no record of any such thing. Whereas Europe had it, Middle East had it, Romans and the Greeks had it. Romans and the Greeks had it. But in fact, if you look at Indian texts a bit deeply. You discover something very strange. In India, there is no idea that human beings rule human beings. Nor even is it an idea that human beings rule products and properties on earth. Human beings do not rule. You can see it even to this day in India, ordinary conversations. They criticize you for acting, I don't know the Hindi thing. They say, don't uh, you, chalai sodo. Hey, how do you say it in Hindi? Adhikara chalai sodo. Oh, it doesn't matter. Forget it. So we have an expression which says, who the hell are you to use authority on me? Yeah. Yeah. Rajkarna. 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 Okay. Even in Gita, when it talks about Adhikara, it says, Karmanyeva Adhikara. That means you have the authority to perform actions. But there is no way in an Indian tradition, it's not possible to conceptualize but human beings can rule human beings. Not possible. Gods don't rule us. Yeah? So how can human beings rule human beings? This is, the stories are full of it. Rishis telling the gods to bugger off. Vishwamitra said, if you don't send Trishankota Swarga, I am going to create three worlds. So immediately gods came, fell at his feet and said, please, please, please don't do that. 
It's going to create deep chaos and deep confusion. And he said, okay, okay, I won't do it. Provided give me some hundred apsaras or something. And he got apsaras, so he didn't do it. In other words, our stories are full of that. Now, why is this important? If there is no possibility that human beings could rule human beings, the idea that Praja Prabhutva is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Because no human being can rule over human beings. When does democracy make sense? What is the question of democracy? Why should I obey the laws that another human being makes? They say that is because you have decided that these people should make the laws. Why should I obey the king? Because divine kingship says that he should rule. Why should I obey uh, because this king? Because Roman Catholic Church says that he is the king and so on and so on and so on. We just don't have that in our culture. Question, how in God's name do we understand democracy at all? We say Prabhutva. Take the Sanskrit word. Do we know the difference between a Prabhu and a Vibhu? Why is it important? Atma is the Vibhu of body. King is a Vibhu. But neither Atma does not interfere with the body. Atma does not act according to our traditions, according to culture, according to our understanding. So Vibhu is somebody who has authority in one sense, but cannot rule. That is Vibhu. Raja, another name for king, is Vibhu. Of course, you call him also Prabhu. So, when we, our kings don't rule over us, they never ruled over us in our history. Because leaving this king, going to another kingdom was not treason. If king rules a subject, and the subject doesn't obey the king, it is treason. Punishable by death even today. In Britain, in Europe, in America. Treason. And that's why the laws of treason that we have in India was made by the British. We have no example of treason, death by treason, in Indian Dharma Shastra, Dharma Sutra texts. We just don't have it. To summarize, we would not know what it is if human beings ruling over fellow human beings is unknown to us. What would Prajaprabhutva mean? What does therefore democracy mean? Therefore, what does theories of democracy mean? What is sovereignty? What are rights? We do not, we may have words. Rights is hakku. Hakku is not English yet, it is coming from Persian, Urdu, Hindi language. But it doesn't matter. Hak. So, but it doesn't matter to us. So, in other words, when we use words, we use words. But we don't understand at all. But the problem with us is, we think we know English. We don't. Most ordinary words, we don't know the meaning. And my favorite, but I want to elaborate on it. You have heard of the word justification. Justify yourself. You think we know what it means. I'm willing to bet. I am not as rich as Hari Kiran. I'm sure he will lend me the money. One million dollars. 
Now, nobody here in this group of 500 would be able to tell me what justification is. Even if they lived in America for 40 years or in Europe for 55 years, they don't, not only that, they'll agree with me because every time they use the word justification, people in Europe and America have got angry with them about how they use it. We don't know what it means. But you're all experts in English, no? When you say you don't know English, any number of people, oh, I studied English in Cambridge. I was taught English in Oxford. Oh, I went to St. Stephen's. I think as though that teacher saying, yeah, grammatically, syntactically, you may choose the words correctly. But my friend doesn't mean you understand English because a lot of these words in English are coming from stories, whether it's the Bible, whether it's theology, whether it's political science, Coming, whose notions we just don't understand. Conceptually don't understand, forget experientially. So our problem is not, indie categories cannot be made, translate into English and build a list of some 150 Sanskrit words and say, only use those Sanskrit words because that will de defend us from colonialism and colonial thought. You have to be a genius to tell such stupid things and get civic awards. But we have lots of them in India. Because in India, we have a very special uh, procedure. If you tell lies all the time, you get Bharata Ratna. If you talk stupid things, you get Padma Shri and Padma Bhushana. Just look at the bloody list of the people who got it. Yeah. Anyway, so therefore kindly don't propose me to Bharata Ratna. Anything less I want you an next but Bharata Ratna I'm not because I don't like. Anyway. So, a problem of understanding English language is not a problem of language, but of knowledge. Not a question of translating, of democracy, sovereignty, right, etc. Or not translation issues, they are knowledge issues. Same way, translating Sanskrit words into English is not a translation issue is a knowledge issue. And, and exactly the way we do it, English-speaking people are also intelligent. We use words like electricity, switch, train. Well, they say Pandit, Karma, and so on. They also use English words, uh, Sanskrit words in English. So that is not a problem to anybody except those who are striving to get Bharataratna. Okay. So the translation is not a translation problem. It is a knowledge problem. If it's a knowledge problem, if we cannot understand conceptually, level of knowledge, what is being said in European languages, which means it is because we don't have that experience in our culture. Therefore, do not see, please, as translation issues. No, they're knowledge issues, each one of them. And we don't have experiences. We have no experience of what it means to rule, man ruling over man. Your father does not rule over you any more than your guru rules over you, any more than your king rules over you. Take away that notion of ruling and therefore we have no slavery. Where it is possible for man to rule over man, slavery is a possibility. In India, it hasn't occurred, will not occur. Because we don't have that idea at all. Or we don't have the structures. We don't have a culture. So, summarizing. It's a beautiful question. What is the relation between language 
experience and knowledge. I'm glad the question is raised because they're very deeply connected. What appears as language issue is a knowledge issue and experiential problem. What is it? Anybody wants to add anything to that? Yeah, I, I would like to add something. Um, You're not qualifying for Bharat Ratna, I hope. Well, secretly I am. I <laughs> for, for quite a number of years, so I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. See, uh, I'd like to say something about what happens when uh, knowledge issues are confused for translation issues in both directions. One is uh, secularism, issue of secularism. In India, people talk about secularism in all kinds of ways, and there have been attempts to translate it. And the most famous one is Nehru's uh, Dharma Nirapekshata. Now, there's a kind of unholy mixture that comes into being when you start doing that. <coughs> no one understands why secularism, secular state, was such a huge issue in Europe uh, and why it became so important within Europe to separate the state from religion, because if the king or the state endorsed a particular religion, the subjects were expected to also follow that religion and everyone else was persecuted. And it's within a framework of discussing religion, a Christian theological framework, but that's not very relevant right now, where this distinction between politics and religion became incredibly important. Now bring that to India, where this is not an issue at all. I mean, kings could follow any kind of tradition, and their subjects could follow any number of other traditions, and there is no conflict. I said, what Sarika told us about the Jews is, is an excellent example. In Europe, it was a huge problem that people would follow another authority, uh, their king or their state, and conflicts came into being. In India, that conflict never came into being. So when you translate secularism without understanding what it means, why politics needs to be distinguished from religion, you introduce some Sanskrit word, you get, well, statements that no one can understand, basically. Now, the other direction, claiming that there's these non-translatables and that we should use native categories and Sanskrit categories and if not, we'll never understand Indian culture. I want to send you a sentence. I'll do it through this chat function. So I'll just copy paste it. I'd like you to read that sentence. I've just sent it. It's a long sentence, so I'll give you some time. I, yeah. So it's now in this chat box yeah. window. Are you just one second, Jacob? Are you trying to get some Indian students to do doctorate with you on this? <laughs> no, I suspect, uh, I suspect very deep motives there. I, I hope not. I hope not. Ah, okay. See, uh, I, yeah, you have to post it to general, you have posted it to only panelists. Oh, I am sorry. Okay. No, all panelists. Uh, no, no, now, now it's come. Yeah. All panelists and attendees. Hurricane yeah. did it. Yeah. See, why I'm uh, posting that sentence, not for you to try and understand it, but just to show that this claim that 
there's these non-translatables, so we should keep using Sanskrit terms. And if not, we cannot understand any traditions. It's reinventing the wheel. Because this quotation is from 1870s. It's Theosophical Society, people like Madame Blavatsky, Annie Besant, and then Indians uh, reproducing what they said. They also said, we have to keep these Sanskrit terms, we cannot translate them into Western languages or into English. Now, the sentences that result, uh, as Balu likes to put it, they make your brain freeze. You try to understand the sentence and your brain just collapses immediately. So if you confuse what are knowledge issues with translation issues, this kind of, I, it's, it's, to me, it really looks like an unholy mixture where you become more and more puzzled the more you try to understand it. And for us Westerners, initially we think Indian traditions must be very obscure, esoteric, opaque, and either think there's something wrong with us or something wrong with Indian traditions. But in any case, there cannot be knowledge. If this is what they're all about, and your brain freeze is trying to understand them, I, that's a, the kind of problem that comes into being. So, let, let, I okay, I, I have to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies first. Um, what I wanted to add to what Jacob is saying is that the question of language experience and knowledge, it's something that must be accessible in your daily life. It's not an academic exercise. It's not something that you have to do deep, enormous studies about. I mean, if you know gravity, you know what, it, what happens. You drop something, it falls down. You know it's because of gravity. You learn it as, as, as a way to understand, what, understand the world. Uh, irrespective of whether you learn the English word or some other Kannada word or, or Hindi word, it helps you make sense of the world. Whereas what happens when it comes to Indian um, notions or Indian texts or what India has produced, it becomes something completely inaccessible, which is only for the experts. Whereas we have to live our daily lives, we have to talk about bhavanas and manas and nemadi and what is happening to us and how do we feel how do we go about in the world and we're not able to do anything with it because it's become so esoteric yeah that's why I, no, I mean i will pick up the thread from actually it's good that you spoke first because i can continue but the problem of experience you know because there is a deep relationship between the language to experience and it um, so recently in last uh, uh, four three four months, I had the chance to do a series of workshops in India in different corner from all rural to Chindigarh, like high metropolitan place, you know everywhere. And we had one common task given to students, and the the kind of task that we did had representation from all strata of the society. The first question was given: Are you religious? And invariably, everybody translated. Religion is dharma. Okay, some you know usage is a little bit different, etc. So I asked them to keep that uh, translation with them. After a point in time, I came back and asked them, "Okay, now translate to your local language. Are you irreligious?" Now, the, when when they were actually translating it, almost eighty percent of them had difficulty in translating it as adharma, because if religion is dharma, irreligious had to become adharma. And they had great difficulty in translating it into adharma, and some people did. 
So what did, what did we do? We went and asked them, give an example. Think about an example of an other me in Indian culture. So we took the local politician name. So we asked, is Yadurappa other me? No, no, no. I can say Brasta, but I can't say other me. So like this, you know, it goes on. Do you want to call Ravana other me? No, no, no. I can't call Ravana. He is a great show bhakta. You know, he did tapas, etc. Hiranyakashipu other me. So they couldn't. And I shifted the question a little bit invariably. Do you want to call Hitler an other me? And invariably, answer was, oh yes. I mean, he he has committed genocide. I mean, he had to be other. Okay. Now, but look at the contrast here. Now, the adharma, the word, is so familiar to us, but they couldn't pick up an example of a person to connect to and say who is an adharmi within our own tradition, which they're familiar, irrespective of their metropolitan, etc. Now, the moment you bring in Hitler, this is they call, their reference is you know the, the moment you bring in Hitler, they resonate and talk about Hitler could be called adharmi. Now, think about it. We so easily use religion as dharma. You know, in 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 one shot. But the moment you you convert this into talk about irreligiousness, then you can't talk about other because you go and say, are you go and ask somebody, are you other me? They will slap you literally. Any Indian would. I mean, that is the worst thing that anybody would get to call it. So there is this deeper relationship. You know, the way the language that we use and to the experience. You know, the, we have it, and it 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 deals with the knowledge about this world. Now, what we do is, in the name of this uh, big storytelling, uh, oh, Sanskrit non-translatable, as if this is one unique property of the Sanskrit language, which is not, because you take English, you take German, you can you can talk about series of non-translatable, and actually we make joke of ourselves by actually trying to make a time table thumping claim using Sanskrit as non-translatable. That's why it becomes a problem. So that's the first part, and second part. Uh, is also by talking this way about language there is this claim that many body want to, many a number of people want to push that we can teach knowledge in indian languages and they wanted to teach natural sciences in indian languages now as balu has already previously pointed out that these natural science the science theories of natural sciences grew over a period of time there are specific theories within which you know the conceptual repertory has been built and there is a lot of energy that has been built so you have resources within the language to talk about and deal with these theories and if you want to do it in any indian language we have to do a range of preparation to transform indian language capable of talking about theories of economics yeah. theories of physics theories of etc mm -hmm. etc so it is much more easier to actually use english and you know start teaching it so even that kind of argument doesn't help us so therefore there is an extraordinary ignorance that we have about the function of language and its relationship with experience and knowledge chaitra i have a question um you probably uh, experienced it as well when you talk about religious and irreligious when we talk about the religion of the hindus it usually is going to the temples doing puja uh, i don't know having a tulsi plant in your house i mean these kind of things are what what the sort of things that people list when you talk about whether you're religious or not if being irreligious is the contrast set then it means not doing these practices not doing puja or not going to the temple but at the same time religious is also translated as dharma then you would have to say by consequence that people who don't do puja or don't go to the temples would have to be adharmis which makes absolutely no sense do you notice something like that in, in the conversations that you have yeah on the on the one later uh, experiment where i with a small group i tried doing it 
and they came up with horror literally no oh my god i don't go to temple but i am not adharmi i mean this is the the immediate sharpest response i mean so even even the the youngest of the lot that i have encountered in dealing with you know calling adharmi generate such a repulsion that no 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 something you know so the grossly wrong that i can't be called adharmi the moment you say if you are listing out this i did that detail exercise as well with a small group and saying well, okay are you religious i am dharmi so list out the activities that you could call it as religious so then doing puja doing sandhya vandana like this the list goes on and they saying not doing this becomes irreligious meaning adharmi would you want to say no no i don't do sandhya vandana but i am not adharmi so they run into this crazy i mean you should see the reaction and the horror actually that should actually illustrate in saying that uh, it's it actually deforms you know something that happens in us and everybody resonates with the idea even though mindlessly we use religion for dharma etc but when you actually start making an inquiry of this kind you start realizing yeah, but, but but just for one sec you in a way you're going in a direction which uh, is not leads to very uh, conclusions which are not correct what i what i want to say is this see one thing that a lot of people say is that dharma is a very complex idea which you don't understand it means many things and there's another thing about indians if you talk like that for 3 hours how wonderful dharma is because it means so many different things to so many people you become the chief justice of a high court how do i know that because i heard chief justice of the high court giving three hour speech in front of foreign colleagues i felt so embarrassed but doesn't matter only thing is that dharma means so many things that greatest contribution of india is the word dharma really people it's like it's worse than contribution zero as the greatest contribution to india is to say a, a word which can mean any damn thing if you like is the greatest contribution of india to world culture now but this is an important point for the following reason even though we may not know what dharma means we will ask rama joyce who was the chief justice to tell us that if you have three hours go to him and he will give you 500 citations on sanskrit even if we don't know what dharma means here is something very strange we can use without problem words like adharmi and so on. that means it's not true to say we don't know what it means if you did not how is it possible you say uh for, especially for karnataka people they will know sidramaya ex chief minister yedurappa present chief minister they are not only bastards they are papis everybody knows it and that's why they get elected by the way but they are not adharmis every kannadiga will tell you that same thing for ntr mgr Uh, Jayalalita, you name it, we will not call them a dharmi, but we know who to call a dharmi. So also, that means we know what it means. Otherwise, at least what it refers to. So, problem is not of translating religion as dharma or not knowing what the word means. We do know up to a point how to use it. The problem doesn't come from there. The problem comes from the fact that you have these intellectuals, so-called intellectuals. who tell us nonsense both about dharma and about religion mm-hmm. and the middle class people english educated so called believe very seriously dharma is a very subtle concept you know what scientists would say to that 
Dharma is a meaningless term, you can't use it. Kick it off. Because a term which doesn't do any work in its theory should be dismissed. So, if you, and that's why India, uh, Indians are made fun of, and when, when this Rama Joyce people that like, I give speeches for three hours in Dharma, the Europeans hang their head down in shame and I want to disappear into the ground. Anyway, but somebody is asking here a very rude question. Uh, it, gives a, uh, it gives an example, some Buddha, it talks about uh, non-dualism. <laughs> he says, uh, attracted to Advaita because of its non-dualism. He says, whether that means, now I'm citing him, me and my father are one. He's citing from the Gospel of John, whether that is true. And of course, people got shocked. I've had this experience in a different way, any number of times. Just one small example. Uh, the other day, I was, the other day, about a few months ago, I was reading a translation of Upanishads by these number of Swamis, the populate, the American marketplace, like nobody's business. They all come from the Himalayas. They have some mysterious gurus. So they set up ashrams, build blogs, and they're allowed to do that. They also make lots of money. Fine, no problem. So one of the guys writes about uh, uh, in which um, Upanishad, first discussion about Atman, where Yagnevalka is telling his wife Maitre, he's about to die. And uh, he says, you know what, Maitre, I'm going to die anyway. So I'm going to tell you the secret of Atma, which is very important, which will make you immortal. Now, Maitri didn't ask the question, I'm sure she had. She said, if Atma, you have the knowledge of Atma, Atma makes you immortal, why the hell are you dying? You should remain immortal, you're not, you're going to die. Therefore, you're, I mean, she should have said something like that. I'm sure she said it because she asked me another question of a different type, same time. She said, if you, if I learn about Atman and I get the land you give me, would I be able to enjoy it all through, not just my life, throughout? Till the end of the world. So, my Ayagi uh, Malika says, No, 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 unfortunately, it's not possible because you're also going to die. Then, why the hell do you have to know about Atman then? Why do, why do you need the land? She asked in a very serious way. And then comes the following uh, thing which I want to talk about. He says, You love something because of your love for Atman. That sentence repeats itself in the dialogue. Go read the precious, beautiful dialogue. Uh, you love something because you're in love with Atman. You love your wife, not because she's your wife, but because Atman and so on and so on. So Atman is the reason why you love. And different people translate differently. Uh, for example, uh, one of the great Acharyas says, you love money because you love Narayana. Uh, honestly, I still haven't come across a single brother who says, I love billion dollars because I love Narayana. Or, I love my wife because I love Narayana. Why do you like Porsche? Or oh, because I love Narayana. You see, nobody talks like that. And only given in Madhvacharya, of course, they had no Porsche, no million dollars, but still they would not have spoken that way. But Madhvacharya, great Acharya, one is respected, so you can follow it and think that. But that's okay. Then there is these Himalayan gurus who go to America to make money. He writes like this. Loving Atman means you are uniting yourself. That's why I took the example of this unity and Advaita. You are uniting yourself with the Supreme 
And that is the reason why you love your wife, you love your car, you love your children, etc., etc. And people find it extremely profoundly, it's very profound, they say, because that is union of the divine with the individual. And Yagya uh, Malika is teaching is the secret of Atman, which is to unite ourselves with the divine, Atman with Paramatma. So I asked, <laughs> the day I was asking, asked a friend of mine, yeah, he says, I want my, 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 uh, uh, my sons to go to that school. So I said, hey, let's apply Yagnivalkya to this. You want your children to go to that school because what? You feel one with the school? You are the same as the school? Do you like the car because you feel one with the car? If you feel all that, you know what we normally do? We send them to mental hospitals. They are not jnanis yet. If somebody stands up and says, I feel one with what? Inflation? Then they say something is wrong with that guy. Give him some medication. Doctor, there's something wrong. He doesn't know who he is. Now, why is this important? People, if this is the sublime knowledge that India has produced, we are a bunch of morals, imbeciles. Now, Yagyavarka is not an imbecile. Upanishad is not for morons. So, this example that they gave, me and my father are one. If you are Advaita, because there is unity in cosmos between Atman and Brahman, if somebody tells you that, my suggestion is don't go to Shankara to find out what it means. Kindly take him to the nearest mental hospital. We, our story is not that. Why, why am I saying all this? Because when these people say these things, they're making serious knowledge claims about the world, about human beings about our psychology. Don't reduce it to bullshit about the sense of unity with the cosmos. There's another guy, one sentence in the talk, uh, with, uh, the man who is the new age bugger in America. Who Deepak Chopra. Ah, Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra. So there was a meeting between Deepak Chopra on one side and Sadhguru, wonderful people. Because Sadhguru thinks you should not read Bhagavad Gita because if you read it, it tells you to look at the tip of your nose and you get headaches. So kindly don't read Bhagavad Gita. And that's why he's an enlightened man, by the way, because he doesn't have headaches. So Deepak Chopra was there. And he says, when Sadhguru said, don't read all these texts, I'm not just Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavad Gita, Upanishad, no, 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 that's all not necessary. You just do my Kriya, you will be enlightened. And that's why I fly on the helicopter. And Swami was saying, Adhiva Chopra said, Sadhguruji, you are a great man. That's why you have this without all these books. Because you have fallen into being. Now, what the hell falling into being means? Nobody, Adhiva Chopra, Chopra doesn't know. Picks up that word vaguely from Heideggerian psychoanalysis. Or psychoanalysis choose Heidegger. And tells about falling. And then imagine there were about 200 Indians who paid a lot of money to listen to this. So I discovered it must be very easy to make money in America telling this kind of bullshit. Unfortunately, if I wanted to do it, I could have been a billionaire. I could have bought Harry Kirans of the world and put it in my pocket. But unfortunately, I can't bullshit. That's my problem. Anyway, there's a tragedy of Balu's life, but we'll not talk about that. So, what I want to say is 
these words, they're not just words, they're a Sanskrit words. They're part of building knowledge and they've been useful and developed for that. And today, because of colonialism, that's what Chaitra was saying, this knowledge has been damaged in transmission to us. Therefore, we need to understand it. And we can do that if and only if. We say it's knowledge and can be tested in exactly the same way we test physics. That is to say, Adhyatma, if it's about human beings and the world, and it's about nothing else, because there is nothing outside the world for us Indians. For Jews there is, for Christians there is, for Muslims there is. God is outside space and time. Unfortunately, Indians said, no, if there is anything, it is in the Iha. If there's anything, it is in the Vishwa. If there's anything, it's in the Jagat. Poor Krishna had to be born here. Ganesha runs around some way here. Yeah? Kali flies around eating people here. Not outside space and time, but in space and time. In this world. Not that they exist, but this is how we talk about our gods. This is knowledge about human beings. We live in this world. So if it is knowledge, our Abhyatma must be capable of being tested the way we test physics, chemistry, mathematics, biology. But what they have done is transformed into esoteric stories about super mundane worlds. I don't know what the hell super Nobody knows what it is. I don't know what a super mundane world is, a sub mundane world is. I don't know where the hell they are. I don't know how to accept them. But Indians are supposed to have done that. And of course, therefore, they say, my last sentence, only special people get the super mundane knowledge. Yeah? You have to do sadhana for 30 years. Almost every second NRI met in America is a sadhana. He has some guru or another. He has been doing sadhana for 20 years. He knows only a fragment of the ocean of knowledge of Indian culture. This bullshit. Eh? This is NRIs in India. Not all of them, no? some of them. This is not knowledge, people. This is bullshit. Bakwas. So, Indian words, including dharma, it's not some vague word which means everything under the sun. Before you which you need 200,000 Sanskrit shlokas and still not explain what it means. They're part of a theory about, the, about human beings, about society, about culture, about psychology, and so on. This is what we have lost, and this is where we have to go. So, don't think you understand what Advaita is, Adharma, Adharma is. So, we understand neither our culture, nor the languages we use, nor do we understand English or Western culture. But the pretension is we understand both, and that's a pretension. Anybody would like to add something to that? Otherwise, I keep on preaching. Uh, I'd like to warn something which I warn everybody. You know, Indians believe in reincarnation. I have been born, I don't know, lost, the last time I counted, 1,735,522 births I have had. <laughs> no, really, truly, I did a serious counting, you know. Scientists mean you must count, no, quantify. So I quantified it. Anyway, one thing I discovered is that I was born as a priest in one of my previous births. Because of which I have a tendency to preach. As you're noticing, when I start talking, I don't stop. Now, it has nothing to do with me. It is the Purism of Asana. It's a Prarabdha Karma that has come from uh, my previous births. 
And there are interesting stories. I was also Rasputin, by the way. Yeah? And Jesus Christ also. I got crucified. And I tell the Christians, they're deeply shocked. But then I tell them that is indeed my, because Indians believe in pre, a, a, a previous birth, reincarnation, I was reincarnated on Jesus. And I give them an advice. Kindly don't be crucified. It is a very painful process. So then they don't know what to do, whether they should take me seriously, send me to a mental hospital, I'm ridiculing them. I'm giving this to you as kind of tricks you can use. Do Indians believe in reincarnation? Yes, yes, yes. You see, I was a, a headless chicken in my last birth. I would not advise you because it's a very painful process. And you say that they won't ask any more about rebirth. So come back. They don't understand Indian culture. We don't have access to Indian knowledge. We don't understand Western culture. And they have no knowledge about human beings in society of the time that we require today. So the first thing that we must learn is accept our jnana. It's a precondition to knowledge. If you don't know that you don't know, you won't learn. And the most fundamental lesson of 40 years of my research has been there is very lots we don't know. You see what I mean by being a priest? I'm trying to save your souls. Yeah. I have been asked by Roman Catholic Church to, you know, for a certain commission to change souls in India, which is exactly what I'm doing. One dollar per soul. That's a lot of money, you know, if you think of 1.6 billion people. I get one six one point six billion dollars, yeah. Joke, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Not everybody understands his joke, but this one is a you joke. See. Oh. All right. With such daughters, who needs enemies? All right. Next question. Or oh, would somebody like to say something? Uh, for some time, I'll keep quiet. Perhaps I, I can say something. I mean, this question keeps coming back, both in the list we got and now, is the asking for kind of practical instructions. How then do we study our traditions? How then do we access our traditions? I, and the sense I get, what's very important is first to learn how not to do it. And first to become aware that the different routes that have been followed during the last well, 200, 300 years, that they keep being repeated again and again. And there's a question that I had. Someone here uh, raised an issue. Asked, See, there's a number of people who are now telling us that we should go back to Sanskrit categories because that's our only way to protect us from colonial consciousness and to get out of this colonial discourse about ourselves. It reminded me very much of what these theosophists and others said, that we need to turn to Sanskrit categories to escape from the ignorance we're in. But the problem, of course, was that these theosophists didn't know Sanskrit at all. And from what I hear, the same is the case for the people who are now preaching that we should go back to Sanskrit categories to protect us from colonial consciousness. Now, the question that comes up to me is, when you're ignorant of Sanskrit, 
and you claim this is knowledge of Sanskrit is our only way to protect us from colonial consciousness, that means you have to be in colonial consciousness because you don't have what could protect you from colonial consciousness. But in that case, the entire proposal to turn back to Sanskrit categories must be an expression of colonial consciousness because it's raised in ignorance of Sanskrit. So, I don't, is, it, is the problem clear? No, it's not. It's a bit confusing. Anybody helping? Yeah, I mean, let me let me try uh, putting. I mean, taking the step. Somebody says amazing paradox explained by Jacob, so they understood it. Oh, ah, <laughs> then then we don't need to. Jacob, you have an admirer. Ajay Sudha, something or the other. Wow! I I told you, you came here to take students and become their doctor. You see, conspiracy of all these white people. Huh? Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, go on. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Uh, no, I mean if it is understood, but I will I will take one element. There are two parts of the story. He's, see, because there is this standard talk that you keep hearing, uh, large number of people and people who are more interested in Sanskrit than some who know Sanskrit. That one could simply go back and read text prior to colonialism and get access to Indian culture. And as though you take those uh, texts like Bhagavad Gita, you go and put your hand and you read it and you get it completely and then you get this pure Indian culture that is available to you and you skip the colonial uh, consciousness or the impact of colonialism on you. This is one part. Uh, now that I will probably leave it to <laughs> Balu. But there is an also other part. The other part is that there is this association between knowledge and the language. So there is this claim which is either implicit and many a times explicit that if you don't know Sanskrit, it is not possible to have knowledge about India. So Sanskrit is some kind of a, a you know precondition without which there is no way that you are going to get access to what is being said in Upanishad, what is being said in Bhagavad Gita. It is not possible. Therefore, I mean in any way you are not going to get Jnana, so no moksha for you. As if that is where it is moving. Now take that from the conversations that we have built from the morning that if it is knowledge and the way you understand you test you use criteria to think and develop knowledge if you apply it to indian knowledge also it should fulfill the same condition and if, if you keep this as the background let's go back to physics let's assume that you see today we know physics biology etc these texts are written in english Today, uh, the language of science has become English, right? Now, there are large number of people in India. For example, India has highest number of English literature people, English literature graduates in India. And just because it is written in English, do you think that these English literature people can read quantum physics or read some evolutionary theory? The, it is impossible. If, so if, if we talk about such an idea that English literature people, by the sheer fact that they know the language and you give them you know, Feynman physics or any other textbook, it is hilarious. We start laughing at it. What kind of a ridiculous idea it is. But now come back to think about Sanskrita and the knowledge that Indians have produced. Now look at the claim. If you don't know Sanskrita, there is no way that you're going to access that knowledge. But nobody had told me that for physics and biology. Because many a time, see, I came from Kannada medium school. And uh, I, when I was studying, I didn't have good spoken English. My English grammar had 
terrific problems etc but nothing stopped me in doing the science nothing stopped me in publishing and conducting my experiment i could access the knowledge yeah over a period of time the difficulties of english could overcome but it was not even necessary to have an, my english language is not flowery vocabulary is not rich yet i can grasp the knowledge and do what i want to but you just reverse the situation here that if you don't know sanskrit you cannot have knowledge that indians have produced now there is something very peculiar that we have built as if sanskrita is the only way of articulating the knowledge that has been produced in india and if that were to be the argument this cannot be the case for knowledge and if we take it seriously that indians have produced knowledge whether somebody knows sanskrita or not there should be ways in which we will be able to access such a knowledge yeah it is very trivial to say that yeah if i have to understand physics you need to have some kind of a, a development of how to deal with english language in the same way we also need to have some idea of how to deal with sanskrita but this equation the people have only sanskritists have that knowledge and others don't have becomes a very peculiar kind of a claim there is something else there is it's a paradox behind it if you look a bit carefully there is a colombian law prof, uh, sanskritist professor called sheldon pollock and sheldon pollock what this bugger says uh, or this great man says is that sanskrit was sacerdotal language restricted to brahmins which of course was not given to the shudras pollock is not the only one who says it okay any number of people make a huge living by telling that story how brahmins prevented teaching sanskrit and therefore vedas to the depressed classes in india for 2000 years now they want to it's payback time fine the people who attack see sheldon pola there is a group who doing something called sadeshi indology nice people very 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 committed people so i'm not criticizing them as individuals at all they are saying exactly the same thing we need sanskrit to teach these secret these knowledges to people they, that is if you want to learn about indian knowledge you have to learn sanskrit pollock is saying exactly the same thing to demolish india people who are making this uh, backward classes etc etc saying the same thing to demolish india question is this how is it possible that one and the same fact namely sanskrit is required to access indian knowledge is used to is attack india 2000 years of injustice and the same thing is used same argument is used by swadeshi indology whatever that might mean to build swadeshi indology against western indology something is wrong with this if one say one and the same conclusion gives you one and the same premise leads you to two contradictory conclusions high school geometry they called it reductio ad absurdum is if you take a premise you can derive contradictory conclusions your premise is wrong sheldon pollock has millions of dollars from narayan murthy to tell the story sadesh indology and all this dipas class get billions from indian government to tell the story but Geometry tells us that is reductio ad absurdum. 
How the hell do we understand that? How is it possible we want to build Swadeshi Indology on exactly the same thing? But there's something even far more interesting. Just one small example from the same Sheldon Pollock. All right, how do you know? The question comes that Bra Sanskrit was limited to Brahmins, sacerdotal Brahmins, priestly Brahmins, to who to, 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 to cover up knowledge and not teach it to others. How do you know that? Please read his, read his articles, it's interesting. He gives a citation from Almiki Ramayana, where Hanumanta cites it, is sitting there in, in top of a tree and he wants to talk to Sita. So he wants to speak in Sanskrit. And he does not because he says, ay, 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 if I speak in Sanskrit, she will think I am Ravana disguised as a Brahmin. Therefore, I shall not speak in Sanskrit. Sheldon Pollock says, you see, here is the proof that Sanskrit was the language of the sacerdotal class of the Brahmin. Hanumanta himself says it in Valmiki. And I have I'm not yet to see any criticism of that. Everybody is deeply ashamed and embarrassed and they come up with all kinds of stories. But there's a big problem. And problem is this. Hanumanta was a monkey, a special monkey, Vanara. Okay, so it's not the ordinary monkeys you see in, in India today, or special monkeys. Let's assume that. And let's assume also Hanumanta had the ability to learn languages. That means somebody must have taught Hanumanta Sanskrit. No, otherwise, he couldn't have learned it. So Indians are willing to teach monkeys Sanskrit. But he held out as a preferred also to teach other, other people from other classes also Sanskrit. Why would they say only special monkeys will get Sanskrit, special Brahmins will get Sanskrit, all other people don't have? I mean, it's ridiculous because we have no evidence for that. So, the very evidence that Sheldon Pollock brings you undercuts completely. You can draw absolutely the opposite conclusion that in India, Brahmins taught the monkeys and crocodiles and the crows and so on, even mosquitoes, Sanskrit, but they did not want to teach it to people, other people, because they were sacerdotal, ritual, specialized language. I wonder how the hell mosquito figured out can understand all these sacerdotal uh, priests teaching ritualized Sanskrit. Anyway, apparently it happened according to Sheldon Pollock. But this is the kind of stories that float around which nobody would take it seriously. Again, a reductured observer. His evidence is counter-evidence. But nobody, not one single person that I have read, raises these kind of issues. So they say Indology, not at all, but they hate Sheldon Pollock. They want to bury the burger as quickly as possible. I read one volume on so I did not read it. I just looked at it because I don't read such books. So they say Indology, there are three volumes or four volumes or five volumes. I don't know how many they are. The first volume was all about how Sheldon Pollock is an ass. <laughs> but please, look at what you are assuming. Please, look at the conclusions you are drawing. Please, look at the evidence there is. Why is it they don't do like this? Not because they are not intelligent people, or committed people, or genuine people. They are all that. They really, really appreciate what they are doing. But why they are failing is because they don't realize they are dealing with knowledge. 
it's as though it is some kind of a novel. Literatures, what do they do? They pick up a novel and bullshit their way. The better bullshitter you are, the greater literary critic you are. And you get Ganapitha Awards in India. India is a fantastic country. The kind of awards it gives to what kind of people is amazing. You must do a scientific study about it. So anyway, so if you write such things, you get Ganapitha Award. So that is what these people do. Go to Ramayana, go to Mahabharata, read it as some kind of a literary text. And bullshit and bullshit and bullshit. There are 10 levels of meaning in Mahabharata. Wow. How the hell did this guy know? Because he says there are 10 levels. Veda. Veda has got three levels of meaning. Adhyatmika, Adhidaivika, Adhidaivika. Who knows it? Only Arabindo knows it. How the hell did he know it? You see, he's a special creature. And I, as a follower of Arabindo, I'm doing deep sadhana. So 25 years down the line, I'll also be in Arabindo. And this is a nice uh, goal to have people, but this won't bring knowledge about Veda at all, or about Ramayana, or about Mahabharata. So when we read, when we do work on Indian texts, keep in mind, we have to follow, because it is knowledge, strict criteria that we would use to test knowledge.